message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. As I've often told you before, if the first words out of the pastor's mouth, again, not to be kind of correctional to anybody else, if they're not open your Bibles to such and such, uh, you know, or you don't hear that pretty soon into the sermon, guys, uh, you, you may want to start looking around a little bit because, you know, this is our hope. You know, God's revealed word. He, he gives us a hope in it. And we're going to find that in Ruth chapter 4. Some of you have been with us through the whole series. Uh, some of you uh, may be catching up a little bit. Some of you may be here for the first time today and you kind of don't know the rest of the story. So I'm going to do a very, very brief, quick overview of what got us to this place so that, you know, the chapter 4 kind of makes sense. And if, if you remember, there was this family. And this family uh, decided they lived in Bethlehem, which ironically means the house of bread. And yet there wasn't bread to go around. And they were Jewish people. They were these called out people. And even though they were called out to, to holiness and, and following God, uh, when there was famine in the land, they kind of got desperate, like you do sometimes. You make decisions that, in hindsight, you go, okay, I don't know that that was really wise. But they decided to go to this place that really was forbidden to go as a Jew, uh, the land of Moab. And uh, they went in there and they found food. They had provision. But it's, it's shortly thereafter, the father dies. It's the father, the mother, and, and two sons. The sons marry Moabite women. And it says over time that they die. The two sons die. And so you have this widow and, and two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And uh, they hear that things are a little bit better back in Bethlehem. And so Naomi, the mother, uh, decides to go back. She encourages both of her daughter-in-laws, look, there's nothing here for you, really. This is, you know, culturally, this is your land. Israel, there's going to be a, a different culture, different kind of rules to live by, different people. That you're not going to have a heritage there. And so I, I really think that your best options, especially if you're going to remarry, is back here in your home country. And uh, they thought about it, and one of those, Orpah, said, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's a little wisdom in that. And so I think I'm just going to stay here with my family. But there was this other one, Ruth, who the very book is named for, says, you know, really I've come to some beliefs and some conclusions in my life, and now, you know, you are my family. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And that famous verse that we sit there and that we sometimes align with the beauty of marriage, and certainly can be equally aligned with marriage, is really deeper we see in its roots, that it really goes far beyond just a statement of, hey, this is kind of a romantic thing. I like you, you like me, we're going to get married, and the two families are going to become one. No, it goes far beyond that. It certainly has significance there, and we don't make light of that. If that was at your wedding, don't be offended. That, you know, that, uh, I think that might have been a part of our wedding. But it, it applies there, but it's deeper because really there's a spiritual tone of what's happening here in the heart and mind of Ruth. Ruth is making a statement, not just, okay, I'm going to go with you because that is just as easy as staying here. She said, I really believe some of the things that I see in your life. Now, I mean, even though life has been harsh and really bad, you're not happy about the harshness of life right now, but you have not abandoned your God. And from what I can tell, he has not abandoned you. They go back in, and that very famous part of the end of chapter 1, the women of the city begin to talk. And uh, it's not really all that kind. 
Because as Naomi comes in, it has been 10 plus years. We don't know exactly, but we know at least 10 years because we're told that. But it could have been 12, 13, 14. And so she's aged some. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we, we know what happens with age, 10, 12 years. We look a little bit different. And she comes back and they said, you know, is, is, is this Naomi? And they weren't talking about that Naomi had put on some weight. They weren't saying, you know, there's some gray up there in the hair. They weren't saying that. They said, when she left, she was full of life. That's the Naomi that we remember. And she's just really sad. We can see that there's a burden in her life. And Naomi herself says, I, I left and my very name means joyous and, and happy and celebratory, but you can call me from this moment on, you can call me Mara because I'm bitter. She lost her husband. She had lost her sons. She, she did not know what the future holds. And at that point, she said, I'm not happy. I left full and I returned empty. Now, let that just kind of sit on you for a second. I mean, have, have you ever come to a part of your life, maybe just a part of your life, maybe the entirety of your life, you're going, I left full, but man, I came back empty. And yet she believes in a sovereign God. We don't see her saying, you know, going to church and being the first one to give, you know, proclamation that God's going to work this out. She doesn't put, you know, God is good all the time and all the time. He's got to, she doesn't put that on the back of, you know, her mule or donkey or something like that. It's not one of those things that she just is really trite in her understanding. She doesn't minimize the significance, but she does not abandon it. And sometimes, God, guys, we're not going to have the testimony before the church. We're not going to be the one at prayer time says, well, here's what God's doing, even in the midst of the darkness. Hey, and everybody goes, man, what a, what a courageous person you are. Now, there are times in our life that we feel defeated, and yet we have not abandoned the faith. We have not abandoned this God who loves us. That's our hope. I don't know about you, but I can be courageous in some situations, but there's other times. If courage is the measure of godliness, then I strike out. But thank goodness, courage is not always the measure of godliness. Sometimes all we have is I believe this, I don't feel it, I don't understand it, but I still believe it. And that's all we have. And that's all, we have. And that's all she had. She comes back. It's just her and Ruth, and they're hungry, so Ruth has to go out, and she has to, to, there's this gleaning. I'm not going to get into the whole tradition again, but you could go into people's fields, and you could glean uh, in harvest season and get some extra food there. She does that. And the Bible says, and it just so happens, in most translations it says something like, it just so happens. And in the Hebrew, it's a purposeful uh, language technique where they're saying kind of, okay, God purposed this to happen, but it's going to seem like, well, man, aren't you lucky? These, this thing really worked out for you. Uh, she actually happens to go to a glean in a relative, a relative of Naomi, into his field. He, he kind of sees her, and we really don't see anything sexual. There's nothing sexual in this, but he does show favoritism to her. It's not like he says that she was really pretty and he was kind of smitten in the heart, and so he's very kind. We don't see anything of that nature. But what we see is this man by the name of Boaz, this relative, that his heart is kind and is generous to Ruth. And he says, look, actually, Ruth, I've heard about you. 
the ladies have been talking, and they said that actually you're a very honorable woman. You're a woman of great strength, and that you have done great, great honorable things for your mother-in-law, Naomi. And so he kind of rewards her, and, and it kind of goes in chapter 3. We get this, what I, my wife told me last week, you said weird about 14 times. I said, what's well, that weird of a chapter? And uh, she said, I think one would have been sufficient, and, and it probably would. Um, but it was that weird of a, of a chapter. Because what, and remember that we used two words last, year, last week, that the Bible sometimes is descriptive and not prescriptive. In other words, it is not saying follow these rules because basically what Naomi tells Ruth is, hey, tonight Boaz is going to be sleeping after a hard day's work, after he's eaten and drank and he rests for the night. You, you doll yourself up, get all pretty, smell good, do this, that, and the other, and then you go lay at his feet. And then whatever he tells you to do, you do. Don't know a sane man, father, and that would say that to their children. And yet some of that is the culture and some of that is just a bold faith perhaps of Naomi or maybe it really is a naivety but in the midst of this God is working his providence and he's working his sovereignty she goes there and basically she doesn't propose to him but she gives every indication by the cultural things that she does about let your wings cover me you know she gives off every incentive if you want to ask me to marry you I would probably most definitely say yes And so we're left at the end of chapter 3 going, okay, man, this is a bold woman. Man, Ruth, you know, you're out there. Because it said that she did all the things that Naomi had instructed her to do. Just this bold, blind faith of trusting either Naomi, trusting God that now she believes in, just trusting that, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. And so we come to the end of chapter 3 and look at verse 18 again. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you've learned how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. What is she talking about, this matter? Boaz does kind of propose. You know, he says, Look, I, I would be glad to, to marry you, but, but there's one thing, this whole kinsman redeemer thing, this, this person who buys back, you know, that which has been lost, that which has been broken. He said, there's actually one kinsman that is closer than me. And the law would tell, the Levitical law, not the governmental law, but the biblical law, the Levitical law that governed the Israel people. He said, I have to do what's right. So we see that Boaz is a very loving man. He's a very kind man by all of his emotions. But he's also a very righteous man, but he wants to do right. That's where we pick up. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz has spoken, this this relative, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he, that is Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And all this is based on Levitical law. If you wanted to kind of conduct a business transaction, you got witnesses. you got the elders of the people. So what he's doing is saying, okay, we're going to do some business. Number one, you sit down because I need to talk to you. It involves you. Uh, I have these ten other guys kind of surrounding us because they're going to be witnesses of whatever transaction goes on here so that it can't be, you know, my word against yours. We just want witnesses. All of this is 
back in Deuteronomy. All this is back in Leviticus. And it's kind of the standards that God had set up. Verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So he says, basically, let me lie out what's happened here. You know, Naomi and them, that they left, and she and Elimelech left, and they did this, this property was here. They went to Moab. They were there for many, many years. He passed away. The sons passed away. So basically now this land is there. Now, this is where a lot of scholars are kind of confused. Are, does Naomi have this parcel of land? What's the problem in that culture that's not so much a problem in our culture is that ladies, for the most part, were not landowners. It was always the sons. Everything was very patriarchal. And again, remember what we said. Let's not be offended by that just because that was the culture. Don't be offended by that culture, but understand that that was the cultural norm. Everything was about the the men. And so basically we're not thinking that this land here is really up for sale and that Naomi is going to make a nice little 12-year profit and that she can kind of go off and she and Ruth are going to be able to settle down with this movie. That's not really what's happening here. More than likely what has happened is that this land that was theirs has been bought by somebody or is in arrears. Somehow there's a deficiency here. And he says, basically, you can get this land, but you can get this land at a steal. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody comes up to you and they said, and a trustworthy person, okay, Boaz is a trustworthy person, and says, well, I got a deal for you. There's some acreage down the street, right outside of Jefferson, and it's five acres, and this lady's selling it, and it's probably worth 100000 that five acres, and yet she just wants 10000 for it. Now, if somebody come trustworthy comes up to you and they present that to you, how many of you are piqued in your interest? Let's just say at least your interest is piqued. I'm at least listening. He's gathered 10 people to do business. I'm going, okay, I'm at least halfway in. Well, that's what happens here. He says, look, you're actually first in line. You actually, this is a, you take this opportunity and this is yours. You're the first in line. This isn't going to go to the highest bidder. This, this is yours because you're the closest relative to this family. Look at what happens there. All this was, again, described in verse 4. It says, so I thought I would tell you of it. Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, as if you want to buy it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I might know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. You're first in line. I'm second in line. And what does the guy say? I'll redeem it. <laughs> Five acres worth 100000 you're going to give it to me for $10,000? i will redeem it. So he's all excited when he sees that there could be a financial profit, when he sees, you know, I'm going to come out ahead on this. And really, by standards, what he's thinking, okay, but I realize with this, I get Naomi. But she's past childbearing years, and so basically, I'm just caring for an older person for a while, and then it's all mine. That's probably what's going through this guy's mind. Look what happens next, verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also, see the word also? 
Okay, you don't just get the land, and Naomi, and you kind of have to care for her for the next, you know, several years, but you acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Okay, you get this one, and she's not of childbearing years, so you don't really have to marry her. That was kind of, again, we could go back to Levitical law and see all that stipulated. So, so you just have to take care of Naomi. But there is this one. There is Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's not from around here. And uh, you have to take care of her. She is of childbearing years. And so basically, if you're going to redeem this, it means that you will marry her. That would have been understood to us. We have to be informed. He would have known that. And all of a sudden, what does he say? Verse 6, And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Basically, he says, you know, I got my own family. This is going to kind of water down the inheritance of my own sons, my own family, my own daughters and this. And so, um, sounds like a good deal, but you keep it. What we find is his heart is to his own profit. That's where most of us would have been. What we also see here is what we pointed out last week and I think is one of the major blessings of this beyond just the story of the gospel is why did God even have these rules? Because he's the God of the generations. We touched on this last week and guys, this is where we really want to finish today. God did not have to have and instill upon the Jewish people these laws of redemption and you go back and you buy back this person from slavery. You buy back their land so that it can and then marry that person and have children with them so that it can be back in the family name. This is God caring for the generations. Because can you imagine, in our past, in our past, do you think that maybe one of your generational grandparents blew it somewhere along the line? Are you the one? <laughs> Now, was it you that blew it for the rest of your grandchildren and children and grandchildren and great? We can all blow it. And here's the hope of a God of the generations. That where there would be a disconnect because of disobedience, rebellion, failure, we have this God who says, you know, you want the same thing for your children and your grandchildren that everybody else wants. And yet this generation blew it, and you see that it's coming apart. But here's what I, the God of the generations, because I care for the generations, foremost spiritually, but I also care for them personally. And I, I'm going I'm to send you a redeemer so that which was lost can be found. He, he's a practical God. He's a loving God. He's not just talking in the spiritual sense. He is, that is first and foremost, and we will see that. But isn't that a wonderful law? Can you imagine going to... Men, men, can you imagine going to your grave and you knew that you were the disconnect in the line of blessing? And if there's one thing, that whether I was a follower of Jesus Christ or not, something about being made in the image of God, you just you want this connection. You want your kids to do better than you did. And you want your grandkids to be spoiled, rotten, and then send them home. Only saved people think that? No. It's what we call common grace. It's what God has put into the heart of every man. This part of being made in the image of God. This is something, guys, we don't have to work at that. 
In fact, if we kind of live opposite, we have to actually live deliberately against that. Not to live out that we just want to be this connection, whether it's spiritually, whether it's financially, whether it's blessing, whether it's whatever it is. We just want to pass this down. Granddaddy was a Georgia Bulldog. Daddy was a Georgia Bulldog. And by the grace of God, son, one day you'll be a Georgia Bulldog. And we laugh, but in some families, would that not be right up there with God and country? (laughs) If not a little bit before one of the two. What is it within us, guys? What is it in the makeup of your being that you didn't have to be taught that, man? What was it that said, I don't want to be disconnect. I don't want to be the one that breaks the line. And yet the line has been broken by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, and by this love of God, he instills into a whole people, he says, here's how we redeem back that which has been lost. You see there uh, in, in the following verses, it says that the guy, he backs off the deal, he takes off the sandal, and he gives him, you're going, what is this whole take off the sandal thing? It's kind of actually funny. It's the only reason I mention it. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 9, I don't have that up there. You can go look that up for yourself. Uh, when a, uh, if, you, if you were going to be in a deal and somebody rejected their responsibility as a redeemer, you would take their shoe and you would spit in their face. Go read Deuteronomy. It tells you the whole thing. I'm going, I like this God, you know. You know, you don't want to be man up to your responsibilities. I take off your shoe and I spit in your face, you know. Now, you can tell. I mean, I'm a grace person. I'm New Testament. But there's some parts of the Old Testament I'm going, okay, God, that was just good. That was just good. You know. <laughs> Look what happens in verse 9 to 10. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech. And all the things that belonged to Shelon and Malon, those are the two sons. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon. And I have bought, with my, uh, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Do you see how it's all coming together? He said, here's the purpose. I I marry you, and I do like you. And and yet, what I'm doing is fulfilling what God intended this to be, this this kinsman redeemer. There was going to be a a blank here and a disconnect, and maybe a disconnect for all these following generations. And and by God's grace, I'm bringing back in, I'm bringing back to this family's name, this land, and this people. This is the heart of the story. That which was lost being brought back to its original intention. Hmm. It's not like you and I could ever imagine that. I tell you almost every week that every part of the sermon is going to come back to Genesis chapter 3. Because the whole gospel comes back to Genesis chapter 3. Created in His image, created perfectly, created to serve God, and yet in the rebellion, Adam and Eve, they, they break off, they rebel against God. And you and I have, that is our heritage now, that was inherited through us. We grew up sinners, 
Nobody had to teach us how to say it. We're, we're just, we were broken people from the very beginning. And yet here's the story of hope. That that which was lost can be found. That which was broken can be mended. That which was totally going to be broke off from this point on can be brought back and carry on a line. Verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. I jumped ahead a little bit there. Um, uh, the Bible says that they marry and they have a baby. And uh, everybody's excited about this baby. And it says the women of the neighborhood gave him, this is the baby, a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Now, what's kind of weird about that? Yeah, she's past childbearing, and it's not her baby. It is Ruth's baby. So anybody who's saying, I'm I'm a little confused, yes. (laughs) He marries Ruth, not Naomi. Naomi's the mother-in-law. She's past childbearing years. He marries Ruth. They're the ones that get together. They're the ones that have the baby. And yet, the women of the community, a son has been given to Naomi, they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse and the father of David. Why, why do they describe it this way? Verse 14 and 15, now let's go back and it will tell us why. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. They're saying this to Naomi, even though Ruth is the one that's being married. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, now folks, tread lightly, tread lightly to, to any mother who's lost a child. Been in ministry 36 plus years, and I've never seen that kind of hurt. Never seen that kind of hurt to lose a child, for, for a mom and dad to, to lose a child. So, so they're not, they're, they're treading on the most sensitive area of Naomi's life. And they said, But this grandson? <laughs> it's like seven sons. Do you think they mean that with the sting? Or do you think they mean. Naomi, when all was lost, when there was a disconnect, when you wondered about the future, not only of you know, your people, but the future of everything, look what God has done. And when they say it's better than seven sons, what kind of society is it? A matriarchal or a patriarchal? Kind of based in, in women or, or, or men? Men. And again, don't be offended by that. That's the culture of the time. And said, okay, this... Moabite daughter-in-law that said your people will be my people and your God will be my God and now she has your grandson man that made up for like seven sons they are not making light of this mother's loss they're making much of the grace of God when was the last time when was the last time guys when was the last time that Naomi had the kind of hope she had courage but when was the last time that she had hope and she put her head down on the pillow at night and said this terrible chapter of my life, it's never going to end and it's certainly not going to end well. 
women of that community, they love Naomi. They see the, 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 what this has done to her, and they come and they say, this, this hope is in this baby. Why? Because this baby shows the hope of the generations. She left bitter, and now God said, you can experience joy. Remember, she said, I left empty, but now she can be filled again. This is us, guys. We're Ruth. We're the non-Israelite, the non-chosen person of God by heritage. We're the Gentile. We're the one that's outside the fold because of our sin. And, and yet, through the grace of God, he makes a redeemer come. Verse 21, 22. People always wonder, you know, isn't that the most boring part of the Bible? all this lineage stuff. I'm telling you, some of the best theology and some of the heart of the gospel is found in some of these different lineages. So Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Who is this David? He is King David. The very one that said that the Savior is going to come through your lineage. Here's the story, guys. Naomi and Ruth thought that they needed a good man, and God gave them a God man, Jesus Christ. It was going to be generations from now, but it's, he gave, said, you, I, you need a good man, but I'm going to give you a God man. <laughs> you need somebody to buy back your land. You really need somebody to buy back your salvation. It's kind of interesting there. Uh, in Levitical law, if you were an illegitimate child, and remember that's where the, Bo- the, the Moabites came from. Remember last week we said that was the PG-13 part of the, the thing where you know, the, the, the daughters lay down with Lot because Lot's not following after God really well, even though he's Jewish, and they have children, and, or the oldest has a child, and that's where the Moabites come from. And so they have been this forbidden people. They've been this people that have been cast off. They have been this people that says you don't even travel through their land. And there's a passage in the Bible that says to the 10th generation, to the 10th generation, you don't even kind of talk to these people. Look at those verses. Ruth 14, 18 through 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. One, Perez fathered... Uh, Hebron, that's two. And Hebron, uh, Huron, I'm sorry, fathered Ram, that's three. Ram fathered Amimadad, uh, that's four. Amimadad fathered Nashon, that's five. Nashon fathered Salmon, that's six. Salmon fathered Boaz, that's seven. Boaz fathered Obed, that's eight. Obed fathered Jesse, that's nine. And Jesse fathered David. Oh, Bobby, that's just circumstances. That's just you. Ten and ten, that could have happened. No, that's God. Here's what you deserve. You've been cast out because of this ten generations. I'll show you in ten generations. I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. I'll buy you back. For anybody who's ever thought, man, this is a disconnect, and I have no hope from this point on. Know that there is this God who is working out for his pleasure, his glory, and for our good. 
the generations. He is the God of the generations. This is more than just about your upset dream. This is a God who's working to perfection his joy over the generations. Working for his joy to the generations. I brought this rose bush today. It's, it's kind of uh, symbolic. Well, you, many of you know, uh, Carly lost her mom uh, at Christmas. And uh, so we uh, had the house up for sale and, and we're going through all this. And, and, and we dug up uh, four or five, I guess, uh, at least four of the, the rose bushes there that uh, were her mother's, but she can actually trace them back to her grandmother's, to the old home place. So, so from the home place of, of Carly's grandmother, uh, brought over to her mother's house, now to our house. And uh, yesterday we had the great joy. I mean, what parent doesn't have great joy when your kids start to grow up and, and they excel and they prosper? And can we show that one picture? This is my youngest daughter, her husband, in front of their brand new house. We helped them to move in Friday and Saturday. And uh, it was just, you know, parents. This is what we do. It's joy. And I don't know if you noticed that picture, but see kind of up there against their house? Can you show that next picture? Bethany's great-grandmother. This is her rose. That's pretty emotional. That's kind of a low blow for Mother's Day. No, it's God, guys. Hope to the hopeless. Life to the lifeless. A dream for those who aren't dreaming anything but nightmares. Salvation for the lost. The Bible says if we as parents know how to do this, if we as a daddy know how to do this, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to give us good gifts and bless us and tie into our hearts a hope that we could never get from anywhere else except from the heart of God. This is the book of Ruth. And we end with this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. We don't see this mention of this lineage again until Matthew. And Matthew tells us the story of the lineage of Mary. It's the lineage of Jesus, and he goes through Mary's side. And look what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the, king, uh, the father of King David. And, and right there in the middle of this lineage, along with Tamar, and along with some others that you're going, man, these are questionable women. God says, no, I show you there is always hope. There is a redeemer that will buy you back. There is one that even you don't have to fear a brokenness and a loss of generations because there is one who is greater and he is Christ the Lord. God's just good, guys. And so if you're sitting here and, and men, women, you're thinking, man, I've broken it for the generations. There is a redeemer. But man, this is too, this is too hard to get past. There is a redeemer. This sin is too great. There is a Redeemer. And he does it spiritually, theologically, first and foremost, 
And to say that there's not emotion in that, to say that there's not something that God does in the heart of men and women, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, emotionally, he's the one that gave us emotions. And he ties it up together and he shows us there is hope. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we we thank you. And Father, we thank you that uh, in the story of Ruth, Father, we see this great love story in this Father that uh, the, the boy does get the girl. And Father, there's joy in that. But, Father, we see a bigger picture also, that the world gets a Savior. Father, you are the God of the generations. You're the God that, Father, gives us hope. And you're working for one eternal purpose. And, Father, that purpose is that, Father, one day, Father, that you will have your family together. And as much as this place called Earth feels like our home, and we get firmly planted here for 50, 60, 80, maybe even 100 years, this is not our home. And so, Father, today, Father, we thank you that uh, you expand our mind beyond the present, and, Father, you give us an eternal perspective. We take this chapter or this book out of the Old Testament, and you expand it into the New Testament. You take this family that lived thousands of years ago and you bring it into the present day application that here is our Savior. So, Father, we thank you. We're grateful. And, Father, uh, we pray today, whether our mom is gone and we're longing to to see her and be with her again, whether she is present and we can uh, celebrate with her today, whether she's present and, and maybe things aren't that great, that there is hope, and that hope is found in you. So, Father, we take joy this morning, and we long for the day that you're working to. And, Father, one day we will gather around your throne, and we'll live forevermore. Until that day, Father, hold us in your grace. And, Father, I pray for the mothers today, that, Father, you would bless them, use them, Father, that you will let them know that that you will hold their heart. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, Father, as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.